Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, family and friends. Pleasure to be with you here this first day of the week. How do we measure greatness? Let's think about that today. I'm sure that each of you strives for something that you may consider greatness, or perhaps you may be striving after somebody else's idea of greatness, which tends to affect our self-confidence. Is greatness something that we can measure universally? What makes someone truly great in the eyes of others, regardless of our ideas, beliefs, or convictions? I appreciate Gerard's lesson and the comparison that he made because it really speaks to the character of Christ and what we're going to be speaking about today. We are in the middle of Jesus' last week of life. The disciples are preparing for the Passover meal. We will be having a lesson, Lord willing, about the Passover itself, its history and significance during our Bible class. But today we're going to be leading, learning about some events leading up or perhaps that occurred during that time while they were sharing the Passover meal, Jesus' last Passover. And something significant happens as they get ready for what was also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this is happening Thursday night after sundown, leading into Friday. They were in an upper room in Jerusalem. And so the first thing that happens as they were preparing for the meal is that a quarrel breaks out. A quarrel broke out among the disciples. They argued about who should be considered the greatest. Now, I'm sure that if you heard about Queen Elizabeth's funeral or perhaps saw it on TV, the world thought that that was a great person. You know, you can measure that because you can see like Gerard spoke about what the crown was worth, where she was, the funeral procession and all these other things. Somebody might look at that and say, wow, that must have been a great person. So it's something that we frequently think about, right? What is greatness? And the disciples themselves apparently had a quarrel about that at this time. Maybe it was brought up because they were talking about the kingdom. It could be because someone started talking about the seating arrangement. They were going to be seating. And it was a big deal who was going to be sitting next to Jesus on his right or on his left. Maybe that's how the argument got started. We don't really know, but the whole preparation for the feast is interrupted by this talk of human greatness. And Jesus is going to remind them that greatness is not based on position or on our presumption, but on service. He says to them, the kings of nations have power over their people, and those in authority call themselves friends of the people. You're not going to be that way. That's not how you're going to be. Rather, the greatest among you must be like the youngest, and your leader must be like a servant. In the kingdom of God, it tends to be the opposite. That's why we frequently call it the upside-down kingdom. 
Those with power really are those who should be serving the people. The greatest is like the youngest. The leaders are found among the young, helping the young people move forward. The leader must be like the servant. The leaders are the ones serving, not the ones standing, not the ones sitting. Jesus continues to say, who is the greatest? The person who sits at the table or the servant? Isn't it really the person who sits at the table? But I'm among you as a servant. Jesus, the greatest of all, King Jesus, came to us as a servant, came to us humbly, as Gerard read from Philippians. He is God, but he didn't consider God to be something important. And he became a servant. He became the lowliest form. Humility has more power than man-made or man-imposed authority. That's the lesson to learn here from what we're going to talk about. Let me say that again. Humility has more power than man-made or man-imposed authority. That's what we're going to learn from what Jesus is going to do. He tells them, you've stood by me in troubles that have tested me. We know the disciples stood by Jesus, even though they sometimes doubted. They didn't understand everything Jesus was telling them. They knew he was somebody special, somebody great by all the things that he did. And even though Jesus' credentials were often tested and challenged, the disciples didn't abandon him because of that. And Jesus acknowledges that at this moment. He says, you stood by me. So my father has given me a kingdom and I'm giving it to you. So this is how Jesus now says, you have an opportunity for greatness in this kingdom that I'm giving to you. And it's going to be a different kind of greatness. It's not the greatness that you typically think about. Jesus continues to say, you will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will also sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I shared with you what this meant in a few lessons ago in this kingdom they would continue their fellowship with Christ. Of course, you know, he's saying this and they don't really understand what he means by it at the moment. We realize what it means because we're on the other side of the cross. We're looking back and seeing how all these things were fulfilled in the church. We know that in this kingdom, they would continue their fellowship. As a matter of fact, that's what we do every first day of the week when we're sitting here. This Lord's Supper that we take is a reminder that we're sitting at Jesus' table that we're invited to partake at the table of Christ. Right now it is a very humble feast, isn't it? But it will be a great feast when Jesus Christ is revealed. In this kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, we will be satisfied in a shared fellowship. It will be one of the devotions that they would practice as we read in Acts chapter two, verse 42. They were devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The apostles would eventually become those judges of all Israel because their written word preserved in the New Testament would supersede the law of Moses and, and be known as the new covenant in Christ's blood. Anyone who is a member of this kingdom, all of you who have been baptized and who partake of the supper, you sit at the Lord's table. You're reminded that we all equally share of the blessings in this kingdom. That we're here sitting with the king. But we're not sitting proud, sitting mighty, sitting high. Because Jesus is going to show us what it takes to be great in the kingdom of heaven. 
and it's to be a servant, to serve one another, which is where we're going now. While the supper was taking place, the devil had already put the idea of betraying Jesus into the mind of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The word devil there in the Greek just means accuser or slanderer. And he is the one being identified here as putting this idea of betrayal into Judas' mind. The devil is all about accusing and slandering. He is totally against humility. He's against surrender, against service, against selflessness. If you're against that, and if the devil gets you to buy into that, you will be on a collision course with Jesus' will for your life. Because life in the kingdom is about humility. It's about service. It's about selflessness. And the devil is all against that. And that's where Judas was. He was becoming a puppet for Satan's scheme. Opposite side, the father had put everything in Jesus' control. And Jesus knew that. He also knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. Because this is his last week and because he knows what is coming. He thinks about what he's going to do. He had the control. Like the Bible says, he could have called 10,000 angels. Maybe he was thinking, man, am I going to really go through this? <laughs> Things are coming to a head here. Am I going to go through with this? We know that he's later going to pray in the garden. And we're going to do a lesson about that. Where these things really hit him hard. This is the last time he's with disciples in a free way. Because after this night, he's going to be arrested. What is he going to do during these last hours? He knew he had authority over everything. He had the control over everything. God had given that to him. Why should we follow Jesus' example? Why should we learn to tremble at God's words? Because Jesus knows everything on this side and on the other side. And he chose to give up this side to help us make it to the other side. That's why. <laughs> he used all his power and all his influence to that end. And this is, I believe, what compelled him, as we're seeing in the next verse, to love his own to the very end and to demonstrate this by washing their feet. The knowledge and awareness that had come to Jesus compelled him, moved him at this point to wash his disciples' feet, to teach them an example to follow, underscoring that if you think you're important in the kingdom of God, then you prove it by washing one another's feet. Not by lording over each other, but by washing one another's feet. We're going to explore what that means in a minute. He got up from the table, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, tied it around his waist. We're getting a play-by-play -play here from John. So I'm thinking the disciples were like all wondering, okay, what is he going to do now? <laughs> we're all sitting here at the table. They were not really sitting. They reclined at the table, by the way. Then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, dry them with a towel that he had tied around his waist. Funny, right? The contrast here. 
as the disciples were jockeying for authority and greatness among themselves. Now Jesus is going to show them what greatness is and how it should be displayed. Let's understand this custom of washing feet. This, by the way, was common courtesy. It did not just soothe the visitor's feet. The shoe was not too comfortable at the time. You walked around in open sandals most of the time. You had to walk everywhere. There was no paved street, so your feet got dirty. So it was not just because you didn't want to dirty your home, but also because eventually when you would recline at the table, your feet would be in somebody else's face <laughs> when you recline, you know. But who did the washing? It was a task performed by the lowliest servant there. A slave washed your feet. And the apostles had probably bathed already because it was a custom to do that in preparation for the Passover meal, to be clean. So by the time they walk into the house, only their feet would need to be washed, which is why Jesus will tell Peter later, you bathed already, you only need to wash your feet. <laughs> so Jesus comes to Simon. Nobody said anything, but when Jesus comes to Simon, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Notice how John doesn't record the other disciples' reactions. Maybe they didn't expect Jesus to do this. Maybe they were taken aback. Maybe they were surprised. Washing your feet is, is an intimate thing, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't want you touching my feet. These are my feet, all right? <laughs> I'll touch my feet, and I decide who touches my feet. <laughs> Some of you are accustomed to getting mani-pedi, so you're used to people grabbing your feet. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. Maybe, maybe I will later. My wife is thinking of taking me to get a mani-pedi. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, some people are very shy about their feet. You know, they don't want anybody looking at their feet. They're always got them covered and stuff like that. So uh, touching dirty feet. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. How does that sound to me? I wouldn't want to do it. I know I would be embarrassed. You know, when I was a young man, my feet smelled something terrible. So taking off my shoes was an event. Imagine somebody washing them. I would only let someone special handle my feet. And so I think I, I understand Peter's reaction here. Maybe it was because Peter respected and admired Jesus so much. He held him in such high regard that now he sees Jesus bending down and washing his feet. I mean, like, hey, what are you doing? That's not your position, Jesus. Maybe it was that. Why are you doing something so lowly? Shouldn't the servant be doing this? So Jesus says, you don't know now what I'm doing. You will understand later. Of course, Jesus knows they don't know what's really going on, the intimacy, the closeness that Jesus wants to have with them. There are no boundaries in a relationship with God. Jesus gave himself completely for us and he would wish to see us give ourselves completely for him. There are no boundaries in a relationship with God. There's nothing to hide, but to give each other, give ourselves to each other freely, as freely as he gave himself to us. We're learning how to freely give ourselves to him. We're learning how to do that in our marriages, some of us, right? We, we still have trouble with that. Even in our marriages, and sometimes we talk about boundaries and you know, boundaries are for cattle and for goats and for sheep, not for people. We're meant to have this free exchange of intimacy, but sometimes we have so many hangups 
We don't know how to do that. And that I think interferes with our relationship with God. But Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's not to be that way with you. This is what I'm doing. You're not, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you're gonna understand later. I think we have trouble understanding examples of humility. Humility looks weak to the world. Our ego convinces us that we're above that. We don't have to do those things. We try to justify that we don't need to do that. It's unnecessary to do that. Why do you have to do it that way, Jesus? Why don't you do it a different way? If all Jesus was teaching was foot washing, then they would have understood what he was doing. But there is a whole lot more to this foot washing than meets the eye. And we're going to see it revealed in the words that Jesus says next. Of course, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied to Peter. I mean, Jesus replied to Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. Wow, simple statement. If we don't surrender to Jesus, if we don't submit to his cleansing of us, he says, you don't belong to me. This shows that this symbolic washing that of course was serving a practical purpose at the moment. It was serving a few practical purposes because they needed a foot washing, number one. They literally needed one. Number two, Jesus is teaching them to serve one another by doing something very lowly that no one would want to do. But number three, the deeper thing is that this was to represent a spiritual cleansing. And how in order for us to receive a spiritual cleansing, we, have to, we can't have boundaries with God. We have to be freely giving ourselves to him and freely letting him come into our lives in our most intimate self that we probably don't know yet and letting him peel those layers away so that we learn to be humble as he is humble. It's, it's difficult. It's not easy by any means. Do you want to let him wash your feet? Think about that. Only when I expose my dirty, ugly feet to Jesus can he clean them and make them pure. Jesus plainly tells Peter that if he wants to be a part of him, he has to let him do this. Obviously, we're talking here more than just the foot washing. There's something deeper going on. The deeper meaning is that we have to allow Jesus to do something for us before we can completely come into the know of how we relate to him. Of course, Simon Peter then goes from one extreme to the other. That's his tendency. Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head too. That's characteristic of Peter. And Jesus tells him, well, people who have washed are completely clean. They need only have their feet washed. All of you, except for one, are clean. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said all of you except for one are clean. So this is a reference to Judas being unclean. And this now brings us into the context that Jesus is trying to teach us here. We're talking about a spiritual cleansing here. Now, don't get me wrong. There was still, again, the practicality of the foot washing was very real. 
And it was something that he was doing to teach them service and humility. But there's a deeper meaning for us. Jesus is not instituting here some ceremony that we're going to practice like some people do. The annual foot washing of the Long Island Church of Christ. Okay, sit in the front row. We're coming with the basins and the towels. And everybody get, is going to get their mani-pedis today here at church. No, that's not what he's instituting here, okay? Uh, this is something a lot deeper than that, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. After Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothes, he took his place at the table again. Then he asked the disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. Teacher, the daskalos in the Greek, Lord is kurios. Jesus doesn't deny this is one of the instances, by the way, that Jesus does not deny he is the Lord. And he is their teacher. Those are positions of authority. Teacher, Lord. However, I, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you must wash each other's feet. Here's the upside down kingdom. That is authority. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and I am. I have that authority. But I'm going to share you what real, where real authority lies, where real power lies, the kind of power that Satan can't compete with. Wash one another's feet. That's what you should do for each other. That's like one of those one another passages. This is one of them. Now, of course, not, not necessarily in the literal sense at this point. We know he's talking about something spiritual. Jesus indicated by the context of the conversation that it is something spiritual. Remember, foot washing was done by the slaves, not by the owner of the house, not certainly by a rabbi, <laughs> a teacher, certainly not by a lord. <laughs> washing one another's feet is really doing something for somebody that you may not like doing, not just something that you wouldn't mind doing. Like, I wouldn't mind going to your house and cutting your grass. Yeah, I have a lawnmower. I'll put it in the car. Yeah, I'll do you a favor. Oh, somebody doesn't know how to cut their grass. Somebody needs their grass cut. Somebody needs their house painted. You need to fix your internet. Yeah, sure, I don't mind doing that. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. You will find the link listed in the description of the podcast on your favorite podcast app. With your support, I will continue to produce authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me to do. But I, I mind going to your house and cleaning your toilet. I don't do that at my age. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> How about that? Can you picture yourself going to someone's house and cleaning their dirty toilet? Would you do that? Would you jump off your seat? Say, yeah, okay, I'll be there, I'll do that. Because that's, that's what this is like. That's what he's saying here. 
we're okay doing some stuff. But Jesus says, that's not washing one another's feet. Washing one another's feet is doing the things that you're like, I don't want to do this, but I got to. And of course, I don't, when I say cleaning somebody else's toilet, I'm using that in a superficial sense because we're talking about something spiritual here. Like, oh, I got to have a word with my brother. I don't want to have this word with him. I really don't. I think I know how he's going to react. I don't want to put up, I don't want to put up a fight. I'm really regretting this. But because I love my brother, I, have a, I need to have a word with him. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Washing one another's feet. How many of you have been in a situation like that? Jesus will ultimately show how he cleanses us by dying on the cross. He became intimate with the vilest sins that are part of us in order to cleanse us. And he continuously does so, as 1 John 1 says, as we walk in the light, that power of the blood of Christ, that humility, that giving up on himself is still working in that way. How much more should we demonstrate the kindness and mercy towards each other's vulnerability as we wash one another's feet? Because that implies vulnerability too, which is what makes it hard. Again, going and cutting somebody's lawn or even washing somebody's toilet. We're talking about the things that make us vulnerable spiritually. How willing are we? How often do we get that close? How willing are you and how vulnerable are you willing to make yourself to let others in that close? To wash your feet. It takes both. Peter didn't say, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, okay, fine. Jesus didn't fight him. He's not going to force his feet washing on anyone. Feet washing has to be a two-way street. You have to be willing to let your feet wash, and I have to be willing to wash them. That's what makes it difficult. But that's how our intimacy grows. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, wash one another's feet. Our intimacy cannot be uh, accidental. It has to be purposeful. I have to make a decision. I'm going to go wash my brother's feet. Even if he slaps me in the face, I, at least I'm going to try. <laughs> and if he says no, well, it's no. But I'm going to try. And I think that's what makes it scary at times, at least for me. Because I may get the door slammed in my face, or they might say an unkind word. They might not talk to me again for a week or two. But I can't let those things stop me if I really love my brother and my sister. Jesus says here, I've given you an example that you should follow. To serve wholeheartedly. And let me remind you here, that Judas was right there and Jesus washed his feet. Okay? Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew the antagonism that Judas had in his heart. That didn't make Jesus blink. Jesus washed Judas' feet. 
I can guarantee this truth. Slaves are not superior to their owners. Messengers are not superior to the people who send them. And by the way, uh, messengers, by the way, in the Greek here is one that is sent, which is apostle. Jesus was kind of like commissioning them in their apostleship when he says this, giving and receiving a foot washing. That only proves our humility and who our Lord is. I'm doing this because I'm one who has been sent to do this. This is a task that my Lord, the one who I call Lord and teacher, sent me to do this. And I'm not superior to him. I am doing this as his servant. Because he served me in this way. So if you want authority to wash somebody's feet, you got it. <laughs> Jesus sent you to do it. He has sent you to do this very thing. And if you understand all of this, you are blessed whenever you follow my example. And we're not talking about emotions here either. When he says you are blessed, blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means ultimately fulfilled. He's not talking about emotion here. Feeling blessed is not a feeling. We say that, oh, I feel blessed. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> Either you are blessed or you're not. You don't feel blessed. You might feel happy. You might feel joyful. Even joy sometimes, right? Not necessarily an emotion. But this, these surpass emotions because they're acts of service. They're acts of humility. They're acts of love that we do for each other. And we don't need a pat on the back or an acknowledgement because you're not going to get one typically when you wash someone's feet. You might get it later, but not in the moment. <laughs> but that's not why we do it either. And he again singles out the betrayer. I'm not talking about all of you. I know the people I've chosen to be apostles. However, I've made my choice so that scripture will come true. It says, the one who eats my bread has turned against me. You know, it must have been heart-wrenching to be betrayed. And for Jesus to hold his peace... Because he loved Judas so much that he hasn't singled him out yet, even though he knew all along. But he is giving Judas the full service, the full extent and acknowledgement of his love and his service, even knowing later on what's going to happen. Jesus chooses to serve and to love the very one who shared his table and then turned against him. His love is complete. I'm telling you now before it happens, then when it happens, you will believe that I am the one. I can guarantee this truth. Whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. Accepting Jesus' authority, his love, and his service means accepting the Father. Jesus has, has made this point many times throughout his ministry. And here he closes this evening, this impactful evening, with this sentence, with the same thought. Whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. It's all about the Father. He says, I'm just a vehicle of the Father's love. I'm a vehicle of the Father's service. I'm a, I'm a demonstration of the Father's grace and patience and love for you all. That's what I am. You accept me. You accept what I do. You imitate me. Then you accept the one who sent me. Because he's the one you want to see. If we reject Jesus' washing and his cleansing... If we reject each other's foot cleansing and washing, are we not rejecting the Father? He's the one who sent Jesus. He's the one who set all of this up in motion. Of course, accepting Jesus is also accepting God's plan for the redemption of your soul. 
That's the whole point. God opened the doors of heaven, inviting anyone to this feast. He wants everyone to partake at the table. He wants everyone to learn what it takes to be great in the kingdom of heaven, not great in the world, great in the kingdom of heaven, which means to serve. And that's something that we all can do. When Jesus said, do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Then become the least. Oh, that's something I can do. Can you do that? We can all do that. There's no excuse, economic, intellectual, or academic, that's impeding us from becoming great in the kingdom of heaven and washing each other's feet. The gospel here is a demonstration of that humility of Christ, willing to become nothing, a servant, and die the most brutal death on a cross, the most despicable kind of death, the death of a criminal, the death of a despised person with no honor because he is the king of kings and lord of lords because he did it for you because he did it to prove a point and we're expecting him to come back because he was raised from the dead he is the pattern that we follow so the first steps to join christ in that pattern to become like him in his death involves being baptized we call that the first step of obeying the gospel and becoming a christian becoming part of this kingdom that Jesus says, my father has given me a kingdom and I'm going to give that kingdom to you. You want to be part of the kingdom? Well, you join Jesus in this way and you start your journey in this way. We show our loyalty and our desire to be a part of that by surrendering our lives, by wanting to change the way that we think because our way of thinking is way lower than God's. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so we surrender ourselves to acknowledge that God has a better way for us. And that's what happens when we are baptized. This is just the beginning, though, that first step of baptism. And we have a journey to walk through, a journey where we're going to learn all about the greatness and the power in being humble and being a servant and washing one another's feet. If any of you wants to pray at the end of service, we're going to have an opportunity for you to come forward after we sing, after all the singing is done and everything. I'm going to be standing over here. Some of the other brothers will be too. And if there's something that you want to pray, something that you want to surrender to the Lord in prayer, something that's getting in the way of you wanting to be a humble servant, then come forward and we'll pray with you and invite the Lord to wash our feet so that we can learn how to become vulnerable in his sight. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.